taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Come on, let's clap. Let's clap in the presence of God. Hey, right now at all of our campuses, you guys can go ahead and find your seats. As you're finding your seat, be careful that you don't crush your holiday candy cane. Let somebody know you're excited to see them in church this morning. Hey, maybe if you're bold enough, maybe just say Merry Christmas to them. If you get punched, then you know they are not ready. Hey, I want to thank you guys so much for joining us here at Journey Church. My name is Jordan. And I have the honor and the privilege of speaking with you for the next few moments. Uh, Before we get started, I just want to let you know, uh, you probably already sat on it, uh, but if you didn't, we have a download card. This is a Christmas album uh, that we recorded with our band. It's just our gift to you. It's completely free. So download on Spotify and iTunes uh, just to get you into the Christmas spirit. Man, uh, we are ready for Christmas here at Journey Church. We've got a Christmas tree everywhere that you can put a Christmas tree, uh, and we are ready for that. And so here would be my other encouragement. Take this with you. Uh, This is really just a piece of paper to tell you that it's on Spotify and iTunes. And so uh, I would encourage you, pass this along to somebody. Pass this with the candy cane, fully intact, not eaten, uh, and let them know that you would love to see them with you. Some of y'all already ate it, right? You're looking at me with a mouthful of candy cane. You're like, it's too late, right? But pass this along to somebody. Let them know you would love to see them in church with you for the holidays. Uh, and they can also check out that album as well. Again, that's free. Uh, and we would love for that to be a gift for them as well. Hey, I want to thank you again for joining us. And, and maybe more specifically, if today is your first or your second time, uh, we say this every week, but we mean it. Uh, from the bottom of our hearts, you are the reason that we had church today. And so this is not a country club that people, you know, pay their dues. They come in, they check in, they check out, right? We are a church filled with broken, saved people. Uh, and we are a church for broken, soon-to-be-saved people. And so if you came into church today and a little party, you thought that the building was going to burn down, uh, you're in good company. And so we're glad you're here with us today in church. I want to let you know, We're starting a brand new sermon series starting this week. It's going to go for four weeks and it's going to end on Christmas Eve called Home for the Holidays. Uh, I said just a moment ago, we're ready for Christmas. At my household, we are more than ready for Christmas because at the church, we start planning for Christmas pretty much as soon as Easter is over. And so I have a wreath in every window of my house and maybe also in my neighbor's windows. I have garland and lights just about anywhere that you can put it right you could turn all the lights off in my house and just turn on christmas lights and it would look like my house normally looks like there's just christmas lights everywhere right because i am i'm ready for christmas and we've titled this series home for the holidays uh, because you know many of us we are going to travel home for the holidays some of us love that others of us are like bring on new year's right like <laughs> I could just pass that and I would be all right. And I know where you fall on that spectrum when I ask you, hey, so what are you doing for Christmas? And you can't help it, but your first face is either one of like joy, like I can't wait to see my family, or it's one of fake joy, like I can't wait to see my family. Like holidays mean a little bit 
different things for all of us. Some of us love it. For others of us, uh, it's a time of difficulty, uh, sometimes of pain. Sometimes we have bad memories related with the holidays and this time of the year. Wherever you fall, we want you to know that when you come through the building that you're in, when you walk through the doors, that you are your home. That we have a sign in our Plymouth Meeting Campus right outside that says, Welcome Home, really big, uh, as you're walking into the building. And I just love that sign uh, because, because that's how a lot of us felt. Like just coming to church, coming back specifically here at Journey, walking through these doors, man, I can remember my first time, right? I just felt at home. And our hope for you would be over the next few weeks, not only that you feel at home at church, uh, but that somebody that you know would find a home here in church, right? We're all going to travel home. Most of us will. We're going to experience the sentiment, the joy that comes with the holidays. But man, what better time we thought than to do a series about coming home to a God that's never stopped thinking about you, that's had a plan for you long before you were thinking about him. And so, man, I'm just excited to be in church with you all today. I've titled today's message, Ran Away. Home for the holidays, ran away. By a show of hands at all of our camps, a little audience participation this morning. Who would be willing to say you ran away when you were a kid, right? Just put your hand up here with me in Phoenixville. Yeah, this is the more honest experience, right? Everybody at the nines trying to lie to me and be like, no, nah, I was a perfect kid. You're liars, right? At our other campuses, just put your hand up. Just look around the room, right? Just do it unashamedly. Come on, one more time. Put your hand up. Say, I ran away from home. Look around. Judge the people next to you, right? Put your hand up at our other camps here. If you're at home and watching online, you can put your hand up too, but ain't nobody participating with you, and so you got to get your butt into church. But I'll tell you what, I ran away from home uh, when I was a kid. I got about a block down the street, and it was cold as a mug outside, and there was no food, and my neighbors were creepy, right? And it's always the neighbors on the corner. I don't know why. But my mom told me, don't go to the neighbors at the corners, right? I found out, like, they are creepy. And so I went right back home. And so I don't know if you can call it running away, but some of y'all, like, legitimately ran away, right? Maybe you were young. Maybe you got a couple blocks down the street. A relative found you. Maybe you were a little bit older. Maybe you were a teenager and you never came back, right? Maybe today, in all honesty, you have kids and you think, I wasted my runaway when I was a kid, my wife and I have a joke, a running joke at our household. When all the kids start freaking out, one of us, usually me, will say, we probably need something at Target, right? I'll be back in a, just a few hours. And so the truth is we've all thought about running away, right? Whether you've run away or not, we've all thought about running away at some point in our lives. And why do we want to run away, right? Because mom and dad just don't understand, right? I'm not going to do that whole rap for you right now. Parents just don't understand, right? You were mad. You were mad at your parents. How dare they tell me I can't do that, right? If I was on my own, then I would show them, right? Or mom and dad, like they just don't want me to have fun. They don't understand anymore, right? When they were kids, it was the stone age and like they just don't get it. And if I was on my own, then I would be I will be totally fine. And Jesus, when he walks this earth, he tells a story about a young man who runs away. And I want to read it with you this morning. If you would, you can start to open your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. 
And I also want to put it on the screens at all of our campuses. If you're here with me live, it's to the sides. If you're at our other campuses, it's going to be right on the screens below me. A way to download the Bible app if you want to follow along with not only the Bible verses we're going to read, but as well, maybe you're a visual person. All the notes I have here on my iPad, uh, they'll also be on that as well. And so you can kind of track and follow along and figure out where we're at. You can text notes to 25827. And while you're doing that, uh, I just want to kind of bring you up to speed a little bit. We're going to be reading in the book of Luke, which if you don't know nothing about the Bible, it's in the second half of the Bible. It's written by a man named Luke, right? And so, yeah, you got, y'all got bonus points. This is a 1030 experience. <laughs> Luke wrote Luke, right? And so it's written by a man named Luke, and he writes two books. He writes Luke, and then he writes Acts, which is right afterwards. And basically what he writes about is Jesus, the life of Jesus, what Jesus does, and then what happens immediately after Jesus. And we're going to be reading in Luke. It's about halfway through his book, uh, chapter 15. And, and what's cool about this Bible verse is this is actually... This is a Bible verse that, that, that is the foundation of Journey Church. That about 10 years ago, uh, roughly, we set out to kind of make our mission as a church that we exist for those not yet here. We put it everywhere, right? It's on our t-shirts. It's on uh, things that go on our cars. You know, we've got diapers that say we exist. Like, it's just pretty much everywhere. And so this is the mission. This is the heartbeat of our church. And it was founded around this verse. And so I want to read it with you, if you would. Read with me, Luke Chapter 15, verses 11 and 19 says this. Jesus continued. It's a man who has two sons, and the younger one says to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So, so the father divides his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son gets all that he has together, sets off for a distant land, and there squanders his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there's a severe famine in that country, and he begins to be in need. And so he goes and hires himself out to a citizen of that country, who sends him to the fields to feed pigs. It says it gets to the point that he longs to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs are eating, but nobody will even give him that. And when he comes to his senses, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Would you please Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, what's so great about this story uh, is that you're going to find, I think, uh, we are going to find together over the next few moments, that this story is, is our story. Uh, that Jesus has a way of doing that. He has a way of telling stories that as you listen to it, all of a sudden you start to see, man, this sounds, this sounds really, really familiar. And so as we look at this story, I want us to start to understand what happens when you run away. I think three things are going to happen when you run away. When you're a kid, these things happen. And when you become an adult, these things happen. The first is this. When you run away, you get what you want. When you walk away from God, when you walk away from church, whether or not you know that you did it, you get what you want. I mean, listen to the story. It says this man, he has the time of his life, right? He's taken half of everything that his father has built over the course of his life, right? His perceived empire. And he blows it in what sounds like a weekend, right? Like this sounds like the Hangover movie. Like he's just, he has parties, he has fame, he has girls, he has fun. Like, listen to me when I say this. If you choose not to follow God, 
life is probably going to be easier for you. We'll talk about this a lot in church. In fact, I would argue maybe one of the, the problems that we have in church is that we refuse to admit that there is a benefit to sin. That there's a benefit to not following God. That there's benefits to walking away from God. And let's be honest, people outside the church, they're looking at us and they're going, like, maybe you should try it. Because we keep telling them, sin has nothing for you, right? There's no, sin is just awful. There's nothing for you. It has no benefit. And those people who are on the other side of that, that they're living a life apart from God, they're going, well, you must not have done it a lot then. And I think the trouble is, when we try to sell this lie that there is no upside to sin, people see right through it. And there's one man in the Bible, I think, who's willing to be really honest with us. His name is Solomon, and I want to read to you some words that he writes. Solomon is maybe one of the most decorated, uh, valuable, commanding, authoritative kings who ever walks the earth. We're going to read in just a moment, but he amasses wealth unlike anything that we can imagine today. He has influence. He has fame. He has command over vast armies. He has conquered. At that time, they are the world's largest superpower by far. And we find this man named Solomon. He's conquered pretty much all of the known world as he knows it. And it says that at the end of it all, he decides to write a book. He's lived a long life. He's experienced things you and I will probably never experience. And it says that he writes this book because he knows that. He knows that there are many people who will come after him, that they will never have the ability to live the life that he has led. And so he takes it upon himself to write a book about what the meaning of life is. It's a really interesting book. Whatever you think about the Bible, I would encourage you to read Ecclesiastes because it's fascinating. And in the second chapter of his book, read with me, he says this. Chapter 2, verses 3 to 8 and 10 to 11, he says, I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. And so I undertook great projects, built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, planted all kinds of fruit trees. I had reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves. In fact, I had so many that they were born in my house from that point. I had more herds and flocks than anybody before me. And I amassed gold and silver for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. And then listen to what he says here. He, he's really, he's honest with us. He says, I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor and this was the reward. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, everything I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the sun, nothing was gained. You see, when we pretend like there is no benefit to sin, my fear is that as a church, we're unwilling to admit it because we're afraid if there is a benefit that we're missing out. And I think that that is a really shallow faith. You see, I think a strong faith, strong faith knows this. Man, sin has something to offer but it cannot offer everything. You see, sin can, sin can bring pleasure, but it cannot bring purpose. Don't get me wrong. When you walk away from God, 
when you walk away from church, when you choose to have nothing to do with this, understand, you'll get what you want. The freedom that you want, right? The freedom to do whatever you would like to do, and you will experience a temporary joy in the midst of that. Don't get me wrong, but here's the truth. You'll get what you want, but the second thing that will happen is you will lose what you need. You see, sin, sin can bring pleasure. He said, my heart denied myself no pleasure. Here's a little tidbit about Solomon, right? By the end of his life, he has 700 wives and 300 sex slaves, right? He's not like a good dude by the end of his life. He has sinned. He has walked away from God. And at the end of it, he says this, it was meaningless. There was pleasure. I enjoyed it. My heart took delight. And you'll get what you want, but you will lose what you need. You ever notice this with your kids? It's like in order for them to get what they want, they, by default, can't get what they need. Like, I'll give you an example. At my house right now, we've been having people over for home groups, and so uh, we'll get desserts, and like pretty much at any point in time, there's cookies on the table in our dining room. Some of y'all looking at me, and they're like, shoot, I can tell. I've been eating a lot of cookies, right? And if my daughter had her way, I genuinely believe she would eat a cookie for breakfast just every day every single day. And I know this because she asks me every single day. Daddy, can I have a cookie? It's like that commercial. Remember that with like the CEO and it was like cookies for breakfast, right? The little ones and the wolf. Some of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. Cookie Chris, come on. She would eat cookies as often as I would let her every single day if she could. And what she wants is cookies. But I'll tell you, because I'm the dad, I have allowed her to eat a cookie for breakfast at times. And what happens afterwards is just sheer chaos. Like in the living room next to me, I kid you not, it sounds like someone has snuck through my front door and just strangled her in the living room. Like she is losing her mind. Why? Because she missed the hole where her head belongs. And she's now trying to put her head into her sleeve right? She is losing it. What she wants is cookies. What she needs is to pull herself together. What she needs is to be able to sleep at night, right? What she wants is vastly different than what she needs. I think we see this in the story. Man, this, this young man thinks what he needs is the inheritance. He needs the money. He needs the influence. He needs the freedom. He needs the adventure. He needs the good time. He needs fulfillment. And the irony of it all is that he would have experienced all of those things anyways. See, when I read this verse, or rather this passage, uh, this time around this week, I noticed something I'd never noticed before. If you look towards the beginning of the passage, it says that the father divides his estate. It says the younger man asks, Father, I want my share of the estate. And what I've always read it is that then he gives the younger man his share of the estate, which is true. What actually happens is he gives both of them their share of the estate. So the older son has his share, and the younger son has his share. And if you read the rest of the story, what you'll find is that the older son, he ends up getting all of the things that the younger son wants. He experiences purpose, right? He's going to take over his father's business. He experiences freedom, the freedom to make whatever decisions in that business that he would like to, the freedom to make decisions because he has taken over at that point. All of those things would have come, but the difference is the younger son needed it without the father. 
He tries to get to the end by going around the Father. And, and, and here's what I think. I think the greatest lie that we have ever believed as mankind, the greatest lie that the enemy of our souls has ever tried to sell us is that true freedom is getting away from God. That you cannot have freedom and have God at the same time. I mean, it's the oldest trick in the book. Read with me if you would. It's the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 3. In Genesis 1, he creates the world. God creates the world as we know it. Genesis 2, he creates mankind. In Genesis 3, we screw it all up. And so read with me if you would. Genesis 3, verses 1 to 5, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he says to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman says, well, we can eat. We can eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But he did say that we must not eat the fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Because if we do that, we'll die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows, God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him, knowing good and evil. And if you don't know the story, it's pretty much exactly what I just read. God says, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but that tree. And sure enough, we eat from that tree. And here's what's so interesting about what the enemy of our souls says here. He's not lying. Eve does know good and evil from that point. But understand, before that, she only knew good. And she believed the lie that God had been keeping something from her that she needed, all the while not realizing what she needed was actually protection from that very thing. And now we are here some 4,000 years later complaining, going, God, why do you let bad things happen? And all the while, it was never meant to be. Because we believed that true freedom... True freedom is apart from God. It's the same thing. All the things that Eve wanted. She wanted adventure, knowledge, freedom. All those things would have come in a purpose-filled relationship with her father. But understand, she needed to have it without him. And so sin might give us what we want. But inevitably, a life like that will only keep us from what we need. Let's be honest. Even though we are all grown adults at all of our campuses, for the most part, all of us are. We have no idea what we need. We just don't. I mean, just think about it. For example, we all at some point have thought that hairstyle or those clothes, man, I just need them. This is why I deleted my Facebook. Because what I needed was somebody to tell me, don't wear that in public. You are going to regret that. Like, for example, just probably seven months ago, I was wearing shirts that were like scooped in the front and in the back, right? Remember when that was in style for like a minute? Well, last week I was changing my son Jack and he had a onesie on. And for some reason I just didn't button it and I left it go outside his pants. And I was like, so I was wearing a onesie without buttons this whole time. Like that, that's what that was. Like what I needed was somebody to be like, Bro, you're going to regret this, 
in a couple years. Come on. We do not know what we really need. Why do you think we are always so lonely? Why are we looking for love? We're never content. We move on from one thing to the next, right? First, it's, it's, it's CrossFit, and then it's, you know, the oil. There's just there's something different that we move to all the time, and the truth is we don't even know what we need. Here's how I know we don't know what we need, because maybe, arguably, the most lucrative business that exists on the planet right now is advertising. Why? Because they know that you and I don't know what we need, so they're going to tell us what we need. What do we need? That's why the Bible calls us sheep. It calls God the good shepherd. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, every one of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've each turned to our own way. In other words, don't feel bad because we've all done it. We've all been there. Listen, you walk away from God. You run away from home. You're going to get what you want. But you're going to lose what you need. And finally, what you're going to do is you're going to take what you can get. You ever meet a girl, and then you meet the guy that she's with, and you're like, nah, nah, I don't get it. And then you're like, well, he's probably like funny or rich. And then you get to know him more, and you're like, he's not funny or rich. I don't get this at all. It's because at some point, that girl has settled for what she believes she deserves. Same is true for us. When we walk away from God, when we walk away from the protection, the guidance, the security that's found in the presence of God, all of a sudden, probably without realizing it, we begin to settle for less. Begin to settle for less than what he's had for us. Your career just becomes a way to make money, so that you can shove sustenance down your throat, so that you can keep breathing, so that you can wake up the next morning, so that you can do it again, because that's what life is about, right? All of a sudden, you're in a relationship you have no business being in. You just put up with your kids. You don't lead them. Because you think the way that they treat you and the way that they treat others and the way that they act is just what you deserve because that's how you were as a kid and so it just begins to replicate itself and you know you're bitter and you're hurt over something but instead of experiencing true freedom like we talked about last week you believe you deserve to wallow in it maybe you made a mistake and now you live your life believing that you are just meant that you deserve to be used to be taken advantage of Maybe you're in our rooms and you're a person who uses people and takes advantage of people and you've just conceded, this is just who I am. But you can't imagine a a morning where you wake up and you look in the mirror and you like what you see. You settle for what you think you deserve. I mean, read this story. This man has it all. He had it all. His father had built what I believe is a great company. A great business, a great life for him. He'd experienced family and comfort. And here we find him, Luke 15, 16. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. And nobody would even give him that. And you see, it's easy for us to see this in the people around us. You ever notice that? We always say, why is that girl with that guy? But rarely do we ever ask ourselves, why am I with this person? We don't see it in ourselves. And maybe, maybe that's why Jesus taught the way that he did. 
Maybe that's why he taught in, in stories. The Bible calls them parables. Maybe he teaches in stories like this because we're listening to this story and we're going, you idiot. You had everything and you walked away from it. And maybe this morning, maybe as I've been speaking, if you're honest, you start to see your life line up with it a little bit. Truth be told, maybe you've already recognized this and we just don't, we don't recognize it because it's kind of depressing. We choose not really want to think about these types of things. But if we're honest, still at night, questions about what happens after this life haunt us. They keep us up. We never feel fulfilled. We always feel like we need more. And yet we could read the words of a man who could never say that he needed more. Solomon had everything. And yet he says, listen, you can keep trying. You can keep getting more. But I'm going to just let you know. Get everything you want. It's going to be meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Not going to gain nothing. You see, we take what we can get because we believe that's what we deserve. And here's the cold, hard truth. The pain and the misery that you and I experience here on this earth, we do deserve it. Downer. You and I have made mistakes. We've hurt other people. Come on, let's be real. We're not perfect. Anybody who tells you they're perfect is a filthy liar and therefore not perfect. We made mistakes. We've hurt other people. We've hurt ourselves. And the pain and the misery that we're experiencing most of the time is just natural consequences of the decisions that we've made because we're not perfect. This is what we deserve. But man, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God gives us what we do not deserve. See, here's how the end of the story goes. Read with me, if you would, Luke 15, verses 20 to 24. It says, but while he's still a long way off, his father saw him. He's filled with compassion for him. He runs to him. He throws his arm around him, and he kisses him. And the son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. The father says to his servants, quick. Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Go and kill the best calf. We're having a feast. Why? Because this son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and he's found. And so they celebrate. Church, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's you and I. If there is a good and a perfect God, just say if with me if you would. If there is a good and a perfect God, man, I had nothing to do with him. I should not be able to even be around him. What I deserve is to be apart from him. The Bible says that God, he had a plan. He had a plan all along that he knew we were going to mess it up. The Bible says that sin separates us from God. It's just logical. Think about it. If there's a good and a perfect God, he is just. And what that means is that you and I have made decisions in our lives that the just decision, we don't really want to think about it too much. You can do all the good that you want here on this earth. The truth is it will not undo the bad that you have done. Keep stacking up your good pile. Just understand you can be as nice to me as you want. If you hit my car in the parking lot, I still got to get it fixed. It does not undo it. I don't care that you 
help the stranger across the street, you hit my car. That we have made decisions in our lives that if God is good and perfect and just, we probably don't want to even think about what that looks like for us. We should have nothing to do with him. The Bible says that some 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus Christ, he comes to this earth. That there's been speculation about somebody like him for thousands of years, books written, almost a little bit mysterious, feels mystical almost, like the beginning of a Lord of the Rings novel or something. People have been writing about this guy for ages, and all of a sudden, in a small town, there's a baby born, and he kind of fits some of the description of what people had heard whispers about. It says this kid grows up. At 12 years old, he's found in the temple teaching adults. His parents don't know where they are. They yell at him. They don't know he's Jesus. And it says that at age 30, he starts to turn the world upside down. Say what you want about Jesus, but Jesus Christus is a man. He's written about in dozens of historical documents. You can deny him, but you have to deny history. Jesus existed. Who he is, is up to you. We read about this man named Jesus. He walks the earth. He does things that we might not ever see done here on this earth, experiences things we'll never experience. He lives a perfect life. At the end of his life, his 12 best friends and his family have nothing bad to say about him. In fact, they would go on to die gruesome deaths, skinned alive, son of them, for the message of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, there is not a living person alive who would be skinned alive for me. You reach the end of my life, you ask the 12 closest people to me while I was alive, they're going to laugh. If you say, was, was Jordan perfect? <laughs> yeah, okay. So at the end of his life, his 12 best friends have nothing bad to say about him. In fact, at the end of his life, he is so perfect, people get sick of it. The pastors at that time, they get together. And they say, there's just no way around it. We have to kill him. So they conspire. They bring up false claims. They bring him to trial says that even the judge at his trial, completely impartial, not of the Jewish nation, just a Roman government official, he is so perturbed by this that he's kept up at night by dreams. Actually, his wife is. And say so they go in the next day to the courtroom to decide if he's guilty. And what he does is he gets in front of the entire Israelite nation. He gets a bowl of water and he washes his hands in front of him. And he says, this man's blood is not on my hands because he has done nothing wrong. they shout, crucify him, crucify him anyway. Being crucified was just a horrible way to die. It says that they beat him, they mock him, they blindfold him, they spit on him, they say, prophesy, which one of us spat on you? They march him to his death, they make him carry a piece of wood on his back, they nail his hands and his feet to the piece of wood, they stick the wood in the ground. Everybody thought it was over. They yell at him, if you are the son of God, get yourself off that cross and do something about it. He suffered what he did not deserve to give you and I a life and an eternity that we absolutely did not deserve. He says he breathes his last, his last words are, it is finished. It's almost like he had been trying to do this all along. And they put him in a tomb 
And there had been rumors that at some point that he would rise from the dead. And so the Roman government officials, they cannot risk the insurrection that would follow somebody literally being raised from the dead after he said he would. That's like Babe Ruth calling his shot. I'm gonna rise from the dead in three days. Stop me. And so they put as many Roman guards as they can around this, this tomb and they say, under penalty of death, do not allow anything to happen to this tomb. First day goes by, nothing happens. Second day goes by. Everybody who had been following Jesus, they go back to their day jobs. It's over. It says on the third day, some friends of Jesus, they go to pay their respects at the tomb. Jesus is not there. Jesus is gone. All the soldiers are passed out on the ground. They don't know what happened. People wonder what happened. Days go by. All of a sudden, people start hearing, man, Jesus is back. He starts showing himself to people. And now 2,000 years later, we measure time based off of one man. I mean, think about that. 2018 AD, in the year of our Lord, based off of a man named Jesus Christ. Over 2,000 people are crucified. We only talk about one. Billions of people over the course of thousands of years have come to the same recognition that you can run from home as much as you want. You might get what you want, but you will not get what you need and you will not know what you deserve. What you deserve is everything you're experiencing, but you won't understand that God gives us what we don't deserve. Anyways, that he lived a life and he experienced what you and I did deserve so that we could have not only an eternity that is secure in him but our lives could look completely different while we're here on earth no more searching no more feeling like we don't have enough a peace inside you you've been looking for keep looking you're not gonna find it it's only found in jesus christ would you stand with me at all of our campuses right now Just out of respect for what's going to happen over the next few moments, I would just ask that you close your eyes. Just bow your head slightly. You see, what we do every single Sunday morning at Journey Church is we give people the opportunity to do exactly what this son did. To realize how far that we have come and to run back home. And we're going to talk about this in the weeks to come, but understand, the story says that the father sees him a long way off. This is not a father. It's not a father who's waiting inside and says, if you want my blessing, you better come and get it. This is not a father who even makes him do what he probably should do to earn back that trust. No, no, no. This is a father who does not give him what he deserves. This is a father who's been waiting for him, sees him a long way off, and runs after him. This is a father that never stopped thinking about him from the moment that he left his house some of us don't have good fathers and so we don't understand this but i want to paint the picture for you of what it looks like to follow god the father right he has never stopped thinking about you he created you the bible says in your mother's womb he knows the number of hairs on your head when you feel alone when you feel like nobody is there he's always been there and it's through believing in his son jesus christ that you can be made right with him why because when I breathe my last and I'm met with a good and a perfect God, I should have nothing to do with him. He should look at me. He should see my shame. 
he should see the things that I've done wrong, the things that, that, that you hope nobody ever finds out about, the mistakes that you made, the guilt that you carry around with you. If he looks at you at the end of your life, that's what he should see. But you know what he sees? When you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said he would do, it says that you will be saved. Why? Because the wrath that your sin has stored up for you, it had already been taken out on Jesus on the cross. All the things that you deserve, he took it already. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the opportunity to run back home to God. It's really simple at all of our campuses. It's really simple and it's really bold. In a room filled with people that you don't know, in a building that you've probably never been to, in the dark, Right now, if you would say, I need to follow Jesus, and if I'm honest, I don't even care who's watching. I'm bold enough anyway to make my own decision. If you would say, that's me, I need to follow Jesus. My life is going to look different from now on. I don't even know what that means fully, but all I know is that throughout the experience, as I've been sitting here, something's been beaten in my chest. Something feels different. I don't know what it is, but I feel like I need to give my life to Jesus. I've been trying to do this myself. I've been running. I've been running. I've been searching, and it's never enough. I need to commit my life to Jesus Christ. December 2nd, 2018, everything is going to change. If that's you at all of our campuses, real quickly, in a moment, I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to put your hand in the air boldly. The reason I'm going to ask you to do that is because the moment that you leave these rooms, I believe that there is an enemy of your soul. The Bible says that he seeks to, to steal, kill, and destroy. He's been doing it since Genesis 3. He's been swaying mankind away from God, the God that has loved them, that has provided everything for them. And the moment that you leave this building, what's going to happen is he's going to try to convince you, you're the same, nothing changed. You're no different. You spend an hour in church. What's that going to do? And you're going to say, no, 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 no. I put my hand up. The pastor said that in that moment, I was made a new creation. The old man was gone. The person I'm ashamed of, the things that I've done, that it happened, but it's gone now. And I'm a new person that I'm going to give Jesus my life. That instead of trying to make things work on my own and making a mess, I'm going to trust him to make something out of my mess. You're going to say, I raised my hand and I've been made a new creation right now at all of our campuses. I'm going to count to three just so you know what I'm going to ask you to respond. Just place your hand in the air and say, that's me. One, two, three. At all of our campuses, just place your hand in the air. Say, I need to follow Jesus. I see you over here. I see you over here. Is there anybody else at all of our locations right now? There's a campus director in the front. They're just going to let me know that I'm praying with you here in Phoenixville. They're going to acknowledge you. They're going to welcome you home to the family. Anybody else, put your hand in the air and say, I'm not going to let this moment pass me by. I need to follow Jesus. I need to make him the Lord of my life. There are three people right now at our other campuses, four people right now at our other campuses that are responding to the gospel. There's more people responding right now in Limerick and Plymouth Meeting and Roarsford. Come on, let's celebrate with them. Come on, let's welcome them home. Let's welcome them home. Come on, we remember what it felt like. We remember the moment. Just one more moment, one more moment before we go anywhere at all of our campuses. If you're watching online, maybe just put the little hand emoji or let us know that you're responding. We want to pray with you. We want to be with you through that. Come on, let's pray together, church. God, we're so thankful. We're thankful and we're grateful for what you're doing in our midst. God, we know that it's only by your grace that we are saved. God, we are thankful. We're thankful that even though we don't deserve it, 
but you still give it to us anyways. The free gift of salvation that's found in your son. God, we trust you. We trust you this morning. We don't know everything that's going to happen, but we know that you do. We know that you have the end completely secure. And so God, we put our lives in your hand. We commit to you, God, anything you ask of us, we will be obedient. There is nothing that you could ask from us that we will not give to you. No area of growth that we will not grow. God, because we trust you, because we know your love for us. It never fails. It never gives up. And so we're thankful. God, I pray as we go about our week for those people who shot their hands in the air, maybe for those people at our campuses that made a decision in their heart, but their hands didn't move. God, I'm thankful that you're still starting their story today, that you are beginning something that's going to change their life continually, that you're going to make perfect the salvation that began this morning, that you're going to encourage them, that you're going to grow them, that you're going to be with them, that you're never going to leave them, you're never going to forsake them. And God, I pray as they leave this building, God, that you would keep them close, that you would keep your hand, your guiding hand nearby. And God, would you create the rest of us, all of us, to be who you've called us to be? Don't let us just walk out of this building. Don't let us just pay lip service on a Sunday morning and do nothing after. God, move us. Move us to do something. Move us to grow your kingdom, to live lives with such credibility to your gospel that people naturally just need to find out. They need to come to church with us. They need to be here because of who you're creating us to be. God, we thank you and we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody at Journey Church, come on, would you say amen with me this morning? Come on, let's clap together for those people who decided to follow Jesus.